Do you wish that the Christmas season could be as magical as it was when you were a kid? Has the stress of the season overtaken the happiness of the holidays? In a season that should be full of hope, love, joy, and family, it can sometimes feel like something we barely survive through. What if there was a way to not only survive this holiday season, but thrive? Holiday Survival Guide. For those of you who don't know me, my name is Darian Shafar. I have the absolute honor and privilege of being the youth pastor here at Gateway. Do I have any youth in the house this morning? Where are my youth at? A few? A few? Okay. Well, instead of cheering, you guys are just like, I'm, I'm here. Okay, that's fine. That's fine. That's cool. You know, I, it's so good being here this morning with you guys. I uh, absolutely love worshiping with you guys. and it, It's just so awesome being able to gather together and just encounter God together. And I'm really excited this morning because I believe God has given me a word this morning for some people who are struggling. Some people who are struggling through this holiday season. Some people who are feeling overworked. People who are feeling overwhelmed. People who are feeling alone. Especially with the holidays coming up, it can be so easy to get stressed out, to get so, so overwhelmed. And, and, and I believe that God has given me this word of hope for some people like that here this morning. And I want to start us off, though, this morning with a story, a passage of scripture out of 1 Kings 19, the story of a guy named Elijah. So verse 1, it says, when Ahab, Ahab was the king of Israel, when Ahab got home, he told his wife Jezebel everything Elijah had done, including the way he had killed all the prophets of Baal. Now let's pause there for a moment, because just from this verse, Elijah seems pretty metal. He seems pretty crazy. He seems pretty intense. Like, king comes home to his wife. Hey, Elijah killed all of your friends. No big deal, right? But some context here. Elijah is a prophet of God. So he follows the one true God, the God of Israel, during a period of time when Israel had completely rejected God. They were following this false God named Baal, and they were, they just torn down all of the altars to God. They had killed all the prophets of God except Elijah. And one day Elijah was fed up, so he challenged the prophets of Baal to essentially a God-off. The showdown between the two gods. They both built altars. They both prayed to the gods. And the deal was the God who actually answered their prayer with fire from heaven was the true God. So the gods of Baal, or the gods, the prophets of Baal, they built these, this altar. They prayed to their God. They cut themselves. They did all this crazy stuff. Nothing happened. Elijah built this altar. He prayed to God and fire came down from heaven and consumed the altar. It's this crazy moment. And Elijah, the Bible says, Elijah was so hyped up that he turns to the people of Israel who are in awe and shocked. And he's like, you seize those prophets and kill them. No big deal, right? So he has all the prophets of Baal killed. And it says, when Ahab got home, he told his wife Jezebel everything Elijah had done, including the way he had killed all the prophets of Baal. So Jezebel sent this message to Elijah. And this is a scary message to receive. She says this to Elijah, may the gods strike me and even kill me if by this time tomorrow I have not killed you as you killed them. It's a little scary. A little terrifying. And the next verse says Elijah was afraid. Of course he was. And he fled for his life. He went on alone into the wilderness 40 days and 40 nights to Mount Sinai, the mountain 
of God. And when he got there, the Lord said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? What are you doing here, Elijah? And Elijah replied, I've zealously served the Lord God Almighty. But the people of Israel have broken their covenant with you. They've torn down your altars and killed every one of your prophets. I alone am left. There's no one else. And now they're trying to kill me too. It's this great reversal. Elijah goes from this great moment of God where God comes through for him, demonstrates his power, answers his prayer, to being threatened and running away scared, terrified for his life. And you know, I think sometimes it's easy when life gets stressful. It's easy when things are like building up and there's so much to get done. It's it's easy when threatened and when things are stressful to get burnt out, to run away, to hide, to wish for death. It's easy to just want to give up. And you know, with this Christmas season coming up and all of the added responsibilities and things you need to get done, like buying gifts. I suck at buying gifts. I hate buying gifts. It's the worst thing in the world. Not a gift giver. You have to buy gifts and then you have to hang out with people, friends, family that you love and friends, family that you don't really like all that much and you feel obligated to do it because they're friends and family and all of this added stress family members who you miss, who you know you're not going to be able to spend time with this Christmas. It's easy, with all of this added stress, to get overwhelmed. And like Elijah, to feel alone. So this morning, I want to continue our Holiday Survival Guide series. In this series, we built this not only to help people survive the holidays, but actually to help them thrive through the holidays. I want to talk this morning on the topic of love and loneliness. And I've called this message, Loved Yet Alone. Turn to your neighbor and say that. Loved Yet Alone. About half of you did that. That's fine. Now turn to your neighbor and say, I love you. It's really great if you don't know your neighbor. You know, honestly, I love, I love this topic because these two concepts, love and loneliness, they just seem so incongruent. They just seem so different. They just seem so polar opposite, so wrong together. And I just love it. You see, my personality, I am um, the type of person who literally is described as the debater. It's my personality. I love to debate. Um, I'm a devil's advocate. I love, like, if I'm having a conversation with somebody and they say something I disagree with, I will have a debate with them about it on the spot. They might not want to. That's fine. I'm going to still probably do it. Let's be real. Um, I'm also the devil's advocate, which means that if they say something that I do agree with, I might still debate them on it just to see how far they can go. Because I like pushing people. I like challenging people. And, and one of the things I really like is taking ideas that don't really make sense together and, and somehow making them work. And, and these two words, love and loneliness, they seem like opposite sides of a spectrum. Like before I started dating my wife and, and we got together, I, I always thought of them as when you're loved, you're never alone. But I think all the married people in the room can agree with me that that isn't true. 
That it's very easy to be in love, to be loved, and yet at times to feel alone. So this summer, this summer, I, uh, towards the middle of the summer, kind of like August time, my wife and I, we had a couple different like road trips that we were going to be going on. Uh, first off, we had our youth senior high camping trip. We were going down to Bow Valley Provincial Park, um, down near Banff. It was an awesome time. And we were bringing our youth down there, which was just sweet. so much fun. And, and then my wife and I, we were planning on driving out to Radium for an anniversary trip. And, and so this summer, at the beginning of the summer, I was driving an 05 Mazda 3. And it was a nice car. I like that car. It was, it was, I think it had like under 160,000 kilometers on it. Like it was mechanically, it was in great condition. And this was a car that I was like, yeah, this car's going to last at least a couple more years. Like it was starting to, starting to wear down, but I was like, this, this is good. This is mechanically, it's in great condition. We're safe to drive. And, and I bring it in for an oil tri- change and a buddy of mine, he, he looks at it and, and, and he um, sees that something, I think it was called a CV joint. I don't know what a CV joint is. Something on the car was leaking and he's like, oh, you might want to get this looked at. So I was like, okay, I'll go bring it into mechanic. I bring it into mechanic and, and drop it off at the mechanic. And I'm like, this is what's wrong. And here's some other things that I've noticed, like maybe you can look at, tell me how much it would cost to fix. And they're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And they give me a loaner car and send me off to work. And I go to work and I'm waiting for this phone call. And finally, after probably like six hours being here at the church, I get this call. I pick up and the lady's like, oh, hey, uh, Darian, how's it going? I'm like, oh, hey. Yeah. And she's like, oh, well, to fix your car, to fix this on your car, it'd be about this much money or this much. And it was like a couple hundred bucks. And I was like, okay, is it really that important? She's like, yeah, probably not. And she's like, and this is about this much. And we also found these problems, which would be about this much. And I'm like thinking to myself, like, wow, I'm doing the math. And it was up to over $1,000 in repairs for this car. And I was like, oh, I don't know how I feel about that right now. Um, and so I was like, I was just going to pick and choose, right? Like, I was like, our, our car repair budget wasn't that massive that it could support a $1,000 repair job. So I was like, I'll just pick and choose and make it work. And, and, and then this lady said the, the words that no car owner ever wants to hear. Now, remember, I, I thought this car was in good condition. I thought I'd be able to drive this car for at least a couple more years And then this lady on the phone tells me, I don't think your car's worth the repairs. I was like, what? Excuse me? I know you're the mechanic, but it's driving fine, right? Like, I don't see any problems. But you see... On older Mazdas, and if you have an older Mazda, you can probably understand this and relate to this a little bit. There was some kind of issue. I think it was with the paint that they used. Mazda never owned up to it. They never recalled it, even though they probably should have. But it caused this massive rust issue with Mazdas. And see, on the surface, my car was working perfectly mechanically. But underneath the surface, the frame was so rusted that the mechanic had trouble even lifting the car to inspect it. And this lady is on the phone and she's like, I don't think your car is worth it. Honestly, I'm surprised it's still holding itself together right now. 
I was like, what? And I panicked. Right? Like, that's terrifying news. You don't expect that kind of expense. And I, and I panicked, and I called my wife, and I'm freaking out, and I tell her what's going on. And what happened was I, I knew that I needed a car. I knew we needed, a, we needed another vehicle because um, I, I was supposed to be driving for this youth camping trip. I was supposed to be driving me and my wife out to our anniversary trip. We needed a vehicle. And this launched a, maybe, I think, week, week and a half, two-week period where I was just freaking out trying to figure out a solution to this car. And it was terrible. I've honestly, not that I can remember at least, never felt so alone in my life. It was weird because my wife was there. She was supporting me. But for a week and a half, two weeks, I was just on Kijiji looking for a car, looking for a vehicle, looking for something. And I was freaking out internally, but I made a mistake. And if you're married, learn from my mistakes. Freaking out internally, but externally, I was just like, yeah, all's good. And I didn't tell my wife what was going on. Like she knew about the whole car thing, but I didn't tell her how I was freaking out. And I felt so alone. You see, I'm the type of person that when I see something is broken, I want to fix it myself. Anybody like that in the room? You want to fix things yourself? Come on. I like to fix it myself. When I break something, I like to fix it myself. I don't like to tell people. I just, I just want to find the solution myself. And so I was trying to find the solution myself. And I was freaking out. And finally, I told my wife, I'm like, I don't know what to do. I'm freaking out. I can't find this vehicle. I can't find this car. I'm feeling so alone. And, and, and she looks at me. And she's just like, how can I help? And in that moment, what I realized is maybe I felt alone. Maybe I felt that nobody was there to help. Maybe I felt that there, were, there was no one there to support me, to help me make this decision. But the reality was that even though I felt alone, I wasn't actually alone. I just needed to realize that my wife had my back. And long story short, we ended up finding a car that was way outside of the budget that I was originally planning on. We dipped into our savings. We were trying to save up for a house, but it was like, no, we need a car. So um, made that happen. And, and, and I, I got a nice Toyota Corolla, so no more rust issues, hopefully. Fingers crossed. Pray to Jesus. But it was crazy, this period of time where I just felt so alone, even though I wasn't alone. You see, I think it's easy when stressed, when problems come our way, when overwhelmed, when dealing with all of the craziness, especially around the Christmas season, I think it's easy to get overwhelmed, to get stressed out, and even while you're surrounded by people, to feel alone. See, when I was prepping this message, I did some research on the concept of loneliness. And, and what I discovered was that psychologists actually say that loneliness has, often has very little to do with who is around you has very little to do with the presence of people. You see, you can be lonely when you are overwhelmed. You can be lonely when you compare yourself to others. You can be lonely, you can feel lonely when you have a strained relationship with someone. Even if you have great relationships in your life, that one strained relationship can make you feel lonely. 
You can feel lonely when you lack quality relationships in your life, and you can feel lonely when you miss someone who's died or, or has left you. And what is the point of knowing all this? Well, simply, all this tells me is that loneliness has very little to do with who is around you. It's more about what is going on inside of you. So you can be surrounded by people, but because of what's going on inside, you can feel alone. You can be surrounded by people, but because you lost someone special, you can feel alone. You can be surrounded by people, but in the craziness that is life, especially around Christmas, you can still feel alone. And Elijah, Elijah feels alone. He feels alone. He feels threatened. He feels stressed. He feels overwhelmed. And as we really read earlier, he gets this message from the queen and he dips out. He runs out. He gets out and he goes into the wilderness 40 days. Like, can you imagine? You get a threatening letter and you run for 40 days. No big deal. And, and he, he's like, he goes to this mountain. He's like, God, I can't do it. Because there's no one there to support him. There's no one there around him. And, you know, it's easy from looking at the story that we read to look from Elijah's perspective and be like, yeah, he, he was alone. Because physically he was actually alone. But if you read the full story of Elijah, you actually find this dude who is more loved and more supported than you could ever imagine. Like he runs for the wilderness. He's like, God, I'm so alone. But there's actually people all around him that were supporting him. You see, if we start from a story back in uh, 1 Kings 17, see Elijah, he predicts this drought, and then he goes and he hangs out at this brook and gets fed by these ravens. And then the brook dries up, and he's like, God, what do I do? And God's like, go to this widow, ask her for food. And he's like, okay. And so Elijah goes to this widow, and he's like, hey, widow, give me some food. And she's like, well, that's great. I would love to make you some food right now. But here's the deal. Um, I only have enough flour and oil to make a loaf of bread for me and my son. We're going to eat it, and tomorrow we're going to die. And Elijah's like, no, if you make me food, your jars will never go dry. Like, that's a bold claim. And she goes and she makes him food. And he's right. Her flour jar and her oil jar, they never run dry. So she was expecting to die, but suddenly now, because of Elijah, she has enough food for her and her son to live throughout the whole drought. No big deal, right? And then later on, we, we see the son of this widow dies. We don't know how. We don't know exactly what happens. But the widow calls out for Elijah, and Elijah comes, and she's like, please do something to save my son. And so Elijah goes in, and he prays to God, and the son's brought back to life. This is pretty crazy, because of Elijah, this widow and her son had food for, throughout the whole drought. Because of Elijah, this widow's son was brought back to life. Like, I don't know about you, but if somebody did that for me, I would like them just a little bit, right? Like, I'd probably be like, Elijah, you're not allowed to leave this house ever. Like, I just want to keep him around. And I'm pretty sure that the widow probably liked Elijah just a little bit, if not loved him as a friend. And I'm also pretty sure that word would have gotten around and that people would be like, I thought she was supposed to die. She was running out of food and now she has enough food. And then word would have gotten around that there's this prophet who was there and he supplied her with food and all this crazy stuff. And, and, and then later on though in the story, we also see Elijah goes to the king, King Ahab, and, and king, the King Ahab is worshiping this false god and um, Elijah calls for the showdown between himself and the prophets of Baal. And, and so the deal was, 
Whoever, they both, both build altars, altars, they both pray, and whichever God sent fire from heaven, that God would be the real God and prove himself to the people. And so they gather this crowd, they gather the prophets of Baal, prophets of Baal built an, build an altar, they pray to their God, nothing happens. Elijah builds an altar, he douses it in water, he has water pouring over it, he gets, just gets drenched in water, and then he prays a simple prayer, God send the fire, and the fire comes down and consumes the sacrifice, it consumes the wood, it consumes the water, it consumes the dust, and it even consumes the stones. And then the Bible says in 1 Kings 18.39, it says, when all the people saw it, they fell on their faces and said, the Lord is indeed God. Like, no big deal. They suddenly come into a realization that the God they've been serving is not the true God. And it says, next verse, it says, when Elijah commanded the people to seize and kill the prophets of Baal, they did so without questioning. He's just like, hey, you, on your face, get up, grab your sword, kill those guys. And those people are just like, okay, grab their swords. They go kill the prophets of Baal. Without question. They were so impressed by Elijah and by the power of God that they followed him. They listened to him. They obeyed him. You see, Elijah had friends. Elijah had followers. Elijah had supporters. Elijah had these people around him, who, some of whom loved him, some of whom obeyed him, some of whom just followed him on Instagram, some people who just, they were interested in him. They, they followed his lead blindly. But when a threat came his way, he tucked tail, he ran, and he begged God to die because he was so alone. Because you see, sometimes it doesn't matter who loves you and who is around you. When you feel stressed, when you feel threatened, when you feel overwhelmed, it is so easy to forget all of those people and to believe the lie that you are alone. And the craziness of life, especially around the holidays, of all the responsibilities, all the added stresses, can be so easy to get overworked and overwhelmed and stressed out that even while you're surrounded by people who love and care about you, you still feel alone. You start to believe something that isn't actually true. See, the reality is just because we feel something doesn't make that thing true. Anybody who's on a diet knows this. Just because you feel hungry doesn't mean you are hungry. Like, I can eat dinner, but if I eat a pack of Skittles afterwards, I'm suddenly hungry for more Skittles, even though I'm actually full. It's the weirdest thing. Just because I feel hungry doesn't mean I am hungry. Just because you feel alone doesn't mean you actually are alone. And Elijah feels alone. And when the voice of God comes to him and asks him, what are you doing here, Elijah? Like, what a question. Elijah runs for 40 days to a cave in the uh, Mount of God, and he's hiding out in the wilderness, and God just comes to him, and he's like, what are you doing here? Can you imagine he had a bit of a sarcastic tone, like, really, Elijah? Really? What are you doing here? What are you doing here, Elijah? And Elijah responds, I have zealously served you, Lord, but the people of Israel have broken their covenant with you, torn down your altars, and killed every one of your prophets. I alone am left, and they are trying to kill me too. God, I'm alone. All my friends are dead. Everyone hates you. And because they hate you, they hate me too. I've served you my whole life, God. And look where it's gotten me. 
I'm so alone. No one likes me. No one follows me. No one listens to me. No one's there to support me. I'm so alone. I'm so alone. I'm so alone. You see, it's easy when we're under stress. It's easy when nobody's around. It's easy when life isn't going your way. It's easy to feel alone. But God's response to Elijah is the best. I love this. Verse 11. It says, God said, go out and stand on the mountain before the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass you by. Wait, what? Elijah just pours out his heart. God, this all sucks. Everyone hates me. Everyone hates you. They've killed all of my friends. I'm all alone. God, I can't do this anymore. And God's like, oh, well, Elijah, that's great. Cool. Love it. Um, I'm about to turn down your street and drive by in my fancy new Bugatti. Um, so why don't you come out on your front porch and like wave hello? What? But Elijah goes out and... Bible says that there was this great wind blew across the mountain, but God wasn't in the wind. And then there was this great earthquake, but God wasn't in the earthquake. And then there's this great fire, but God wasn't in the fire. And after the fire, the sound of sheer silence. And from the silence, God spoke. See, what's crazy about all this is that sometimes in our life we can spend so much time looking for the next great thing of God. We can spend so much time searching for a feeling of his presence, for a feeling of him being around. You can look for him in the wind because when you feel the wind, you can just be like, oh yeah, God's here. You look for him in the earthquake because when you feel the ground tremble, oh yeah, God's here. You look for him in the fire because when you feel the heat of the fire, you're like, oh yeah, God's here. But it was in the silence. It was in the silence that God spoke. See, maybe you feel alone, like God has even abandoned you, but you've just been missing his voice because you've been looking for him in the wrong places. You see, Elijah felt alone, but he had forgotten that the God he served was with him all along. Physically, he was alone. Emotionally, he felt alone. But spiritually, spiritually, He was surrounded. Physically, you may be alone. Physically, you might not have anyone around you. Emotionally, you may feel alone with all the stresses and overwhelming factors of life and everything going crazy and piling up and nobody's there to help you. You may feel alone. But spiritually, Hebrews 13.5 tells us that God will never leave you nor forsake you. Romans 8 tells us that nothing has the power to separate us from the love of God. Psalms 23 tells us that even in the darkest valley, God is with us. We don't need to be afraid because he's always there. And if God is for us, who can be against us? See, you may be alone. You may feel alone. But the truth is, you will never actually be alone. Because God is with you. So verse 13. After all this wind, all the fire, all the everything, God speaks to Elijah and he... He repeats this question. He's like, what are you doing here, Elijah? I love that. Elijah launches back into his speech. Oh, God, I've zealously served you all my life because, you know, apparently God wasn't listening to him beforehand. And he tells him everything. Like, I'm so alone. Everyone hates you. They all hate me. Life sucks. This is all terrible. I can't do it. And God says, 15, go back the way you came. Anoint Hazel as king of Aram. 
then anoint Jehu as king of Israel and anoint Elisha to replace you as my prophet. It says, so Elijah went and found Elisha. What's crazy about this is if you know the story of Elijah, you know that once he finds Elisha, they basically become inseparable. Elijah begins to mentor Elisha, to build Elisha up, to, to, to teach him everything that God has taught Elijah. And, and it's this crazy moment that when Elijah eventually goes up into heaven, he actually passes the prophetic mantle, the role of prophet, down to Elisha. You see, even when Elijah felt like everyone, including God, had abandoned him, he was just missing the full perspective. He was missing the reality that there was others out there, others that loved him, that liked him, that wanted to support him. He's missing the reality that there were people out there that he hadn't even met yet who were going to come alongside him. And he's missing the reality that there was a God in heaven who loved him and who was always there for him. See, the reality is, whatever your circumstance may be, whatever it might be that's causing you to feel alone, the reality is that there are people in your life who love and care about you, and if you'll just open up to them, they'll come alongside you. Reality is that there are people who you haven't even met yet who are going to come alongside you in the next weeks, next months, next years, and who will be there to support you. And the reality is that there's a God in heaven who loves you so much that he sent his son to be born as a kid, to be born in a manger, and eventually to die for you. And that God promises never to leave you nor forsake you. That he'll always be there for you. Physically, you may be alone. Might not be anybody around you. Emotionally, you may feel alone. It's about all this crap that life is throwing your way. But spiritually, spiritually, God promises never to leave you. He promises to always be there. He promises that you will never be alone. People may come and go. People may abandon you. People may make you feel alone. You may hold on to things that cause you to feel alone. Life might get hard, it might get difficult, there might be stresses, there might be problems, there might be all these things that just pile up. But the reality is that the God of heaven will never leave you. He's always there with you. So if you're here and you feel alone, maybe it's time for you to come into an encounter with God. Maybe it's time for you in the silence, in the space where you don't expect God to speak. Maybe it's time in that space, in the silence, to cry out to God and just share what's going on and to listen to His voice. Maybe it's time that you be reminded of who you are and whose you are and how much God loves you no matter what. That you will never be alone with you. You'll never be alone. So I want to do, what I want to do as we close, something we've been doing at youth a lot this year. One, in a moment I'm going to ask you guys to close your eyes and bow your heads. And then I'm going to count down from three to one. And once I hit one, I'm going to ask anybody who feels alone 
this morning who feels stressed out, who feels overwhelmed, who feels alone, just to slip up your hand and just put it back down. And then I want to pray for you guys because I believe God wants to encounter you here this morning. So with every head bowed, every eye closed, no one looking around, this is just a moment between you and God. Three, God loves you. Two, he will never leave you nor forsake you. He's always there for you. One, if you feel alone, just slip up your hand and put it right back down. Thank you, God. Father God, I thank you for all of these beautiful, amazing, wonderful children of yours, God. For all these amazing people who are here in this room, God. For all the people here who feel alone, who feel left out, who feel stressed out, or who in the next coming weeks will feel alone or feel stressed out. God, I pray that in those moments where we feel alone, that there will just be this supernatural awakening in our life, Lord. That when we feel alone, that'll be the moments that you come and you break through the barriers and that you just come and encounter us where we are. That you remind us of who we are, how much you love us, and how you will never leave us nor forsake us. God, I pray that even as we go into the stresses of Christmas and all this stuff that's going on and all the added stress that comes with it, Lord, I pray that you will constantly be there reminding us that you love us, that you care about us, and we are not alone. Pray this in your name.